Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. I am the door. I want to talk about entering the kingdom, entering the kingdom. And I speak facetiously earlier, jokingly, um, because I am the door is not the common phrase we hear from the I am statements of Jesus, but I'm so glad to be able to share this because this is the heart of the gospel. And I, although I speak facetiously, I was actually jumping in my heart because I want to share what I believe is the crux of the gospel and the heart of the message of Jesus Christ. This is the center of his message. Now, whenever I uh, think about the door, I think about all the doors in my life that I have experienced and seen a lot of doors I've gone through and I've paid the price for going through those doors. There are so many doors you'll be faced in your life that you can pass through, so many opportunities, so many open doors. And every time you go through an open door, trust me, there's a whole nother world on the other side. A door is nothing more than a portal to the other side, a portal to a different dimension. A door opens up to a different space. It's a marker of transition. A door is a marker of transition. And depending upon the doors we walk through, that determines the experiences we have on the other side. I stand here today not as a perfect person. I stand as a broken man. I stand here today as an imperfect person. And much of my imperfections have been exacerbated and stroked, and stroked by the doors that I've walked through. Many of you have gone through so many horrible doors in your life and you've come on the other side and you found out that those doors, they marked a transition in your life that you did not want to take. One of those doors that we often have walked through in the past is the door of greed the door of greed. This is an ugly door. It is a difficult space to be in. This door of greed, this space of life where greed and money and the desire for more things seems to be the order of the day. And many have walked through that door, the door of greed. And on the other side of that door of greed, there is insatiability, the inability to be satisfied. You never can have enough when you walk through the door of greed. There's another door that we walk through. That's the door of fear. Many of us walk through this door, this space of fear where fear and doubt and panic and worry is waiting for us on the other side. We've embraced those fears, listening to what's negative, hearing all of the wrong talk, inviting all of the negative speak and negative people we can in our life, always thinking the worst is going to happen, never building our faith, never becoming confident in our faith in God. That's the door of fear. And on the other side of the door of fear is worry. It is anxiety. It is frustration. That's on the other side of the door of fear. And when you walk through that door, that is what we experience. Another door is a door of lust. 
the door of lust. This is that innocent lust, so we think it's innocent. This, this desire to have what I do not have, to conquer what doesn't belong to me, and we walk through that door of lust, this door that seeks to always have something. It's always desiring to crave, to possess this door of lust, inordinate affection, inappropriate relationships, this door of lust, feeding the flesh, gratifying the flesh, and when you walk through the door of lust on the other side of that door, I promise you on the other side of that door, you have pain, you'll have disappointment, you'll have a breaking of self-esteem, you'll have a sense of shame. It's on the other side of that door and that door of lust marks that transition. Another door that we have walked through in our past is the door of pride, right? The door of pride. This is the door that puts me at the center of my life. The door that makes me my own life's center. That the whole world revolves around what I want and what I think and what I believe and the way I, what I deserve. It is this preoccupation with the self being preoccupied with who you are and preoccupied with what you think you can do when ego drives your life and ego can drive the life and self can drive the life from both sides, both arrogance and low self-esteem. On the arrogant side, this is me putting my needs in front of others and on the low self-esteem side, it is me being in self-pity and being playing the victim, constantly saying that I don't deserve. It's I, 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 I on both sides in the door of pride always takes us in to that space. And when you get into the space on the other side of pride, I promise you on the other side of pride, there is always disappointment. There's always this stark reality of your own sense of failure and your own sense of regret. Doors, doors, doors. They always open to the other side. Jesus said, there is another door. There is another door that opens to a different side. It opens to a different space, to a different dimension, a different realm. And Jesus says, I, I am that door. I am the door. I want you to see it. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter number 10. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse number 7. It says, then Jesus said to them again, verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door. And he says, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he said, the thief comes, not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He says, I am the door. And anyone who comes before me as a thief and a robber, I am the door of the sheep. I am the space where the sheep come in. I am the door that enters into the sheepfold. The sheep come in to their fold because of me. I'm the door. In John chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, at the very top of that chapter, Jesus gives this parable to them. He speaks this parable, and then he has to explain it because they didn't understand it. His audience are Pharisees. His audience is the religious elite, the religious pride of the day. This is Judaism at its finest. This is all of the ceremonial keepers, all of the scribes, and all the Pharisees, and all those who have religious position in Judaism. And Jesus 
Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, in verse number one, he says, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. He says, he that comes in any other way is a thief and a robber, but the same who comes in by the door, he's a shepherd of the sheep. He is clearly speaking to these Pharisees who would promote themselves as shepherds of God's people. They would consider themselves to be shepherds and leaders. The whole notion of sheep and shepherd is a notion of leadership and followership. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, see themselves as leaders of the sheep. And Jesus says that if you come into the sheepfold by any other means than the door, you're a thief and a robber. He just accused them of being thieves and robbers, having ill intent, stealing the sheep, fleecing the sheep, robbing the sheep. He says to these scribes and Pharisees, you're thieves and you're robbers. He says the only one who comes in by the door is the one who is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, he says to the shepherd of the sheep, not scribes, not Pharisees, not religion, not a church, not a building, not a person, not a personality, not someone who is a celebrity. But he says the porter only opens the door to the shepherd. To him, the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And then it says a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus to them, but they did not understand the things that he said. All right, I want us to understand what Jesus was saying. The first clear thing that we need to do whenever we are deconstructing a parable or deconstructing any of Jesus's symbolic or parabolic speech, we have to identify the characterizations. Who is what? Who characterizes what in a particular parable? In this parable, there are certain personages or certain symbols that are given, identified by characters. One, we have the door. The door is Jesus. He's identified by the door. The next symbol in this parable is the sheep, and the sheep are the believers. The sheep are those who are believers, and we're called sheep because we need a shepherd. We're called sheep because we are absolutely defenseless. We are absolutely unable to save ourselves, help ourselves, better ourselves. We are unable to even find food for ourselves. Sheep are totally, totally dependent upon the shepherd. And so Jesus is the door, the sheep is the believer, the sheepfold, the sheepfold is the kingdom. It is not the church. The church is not the sheepfold. It is the kingdom. And I need to make that distinction because we believers, we are the church. When Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church. He was talking about building the institution of the ecclesia. The ecclesia, that Greek word for called out. We are the believers, the called out assembly. We are those who have been called out of the world. The person is the church. The believer is the temple. And the temple, the economy of believers, the, the, the area of believers, or the space that believers occupy in the culture, that's called the kingdom. That's called the kingdom. 
And then there are thieves and robbers in Jesus' parable. And thieves and robbers are sin and Satan, typified by Pharisees, scribes, and can be typified by church leaders, political leaders. It can be typified by a friend or some toxic relationship. It can be typified by a pastor or by some other particular leader, some politician, anyone who develops and influences sin and is used by Satan in the life of a believer is a thief and a robber. And then the next symbolism in the text is the porter, the one who opens the door. We find the porter listed here in verse number three, says to the shepherd, to the shepherd, the real shepherd, to him, the porter opens the door. The door to the sheepfold, which is the kingdom, is held by the porter. The porter is significant in this passage because you cannot get into the kingdom unless the porter opens the door and the shepherd guides you in. And to whom is the porter opening the door? He opens the door to the shepherd. And the porter represents God the Father, that God the Father is the one who opens up the door to the kingdom. He makes it so that access to the kingdom is available. It is available, but the door is how you get in. So I want to begin by, after establishing the symbols and characterizations of the parable, let's now look at the definitions of understanding the parable. The first thing you've got to answer is, what is the kingdom? We know it's a sheepfold, but what is the kingdom? This, what does the kingdom mean? What does the kingdom represent? What exactly is the kingdom? The, the apostle Paul speaks of the kingdom specifically and in clear terms. Jesus have preached, he preached about the kingdom. This was his message. It was, a, as a matter of fact, his only message. For three years of Jesus's earthly ministry, he only preached one message. And that one message was the kingdom of God. He began by saying the kingdom of God is at hand. He said the kingdom of God is upon us. The kingdom of God is near. Then he would say, whenever someone tells you, here's the kingdom, or lo, there's the kingdom, don't believe him, the kingdom is within you, in the midst of you. He talked about the kingdom. He gave parable after parable about the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. He gave a parable about wheat and tares, a parable about the sower of the seed, the parable about the net, the parable about the tree. He gave parable after parable after parable about the kingdom. He wanted us to understand the kingdom. He spoke about a man going away on a far country and leaving his goods to his steward. This is a matter for the kingdom. He talks about the father of this landlord, this landlord sending back servants and prophets whom they killed. And then he sends his son and they kill his son to steal the kingdom from the landowner. Everything Jesus preached was about the kingdom. We've got to answer the question, what is the kingdom? Paul, he he identifies the kingdom and he summarizes what it is, I think, the best. In Romans chapter number 14 and verse number 17, here's what Paul says. <clears throat> For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Stop there for a moment. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with earthly comforts. It's not the car, it's not the job, it's not the career, that's not the kingdom. Many people say, I'm a I'm, I'm, child of kingdom, I get the best in the kingdom, I get the best in the kingdom, I get the best job, I'm living the best house in the kingdom. That is completely wrong. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. The job you have, the car you have, that has nothing to do with the kingdom. It's not meat and drink. There is nothing carnal about the kingdom. 
There is nothing fleshly about the kingdom. Here's what the Bible says. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but here's what it is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now listen very carefully. It is righteousness, peace, and joy. These three virtues form a trifecta of the communicable virtues of God. This is that virtue, those attributes of God that are communicated to man. It's a trifecta. Righteousness is our ability to be right with God, to conform to a right standard, to comply with God's righteous commands. To use our will, our volition, our freedom of choice that we might obey God's will and God's plan for life. That is righteousness to stand before God in conformity to his standards. Then there is peace. Peace is shalom. Shalom, this is the Hebrew word for peace. It simply means all things are as God originally designed them to be. That you and I are meant to live our lives a certain way, to have a certain mindset, a certain thought pattern, to have a certain outlook to life, a certain perspective on life. We are designed to live a particular way in creation. When God made you and when God made me, he made us with an intent in mind. That intent, that intent, that shalom, that's peace. When your life is lived the way God designed for life to be lived, only then can you experience peace. Peace is not chilling out and being cool and relaxing. That's not peace. That's chilling out, being cool and relaxing. Peace is whenever there is this settled, this settled conviction, this settled reality that my life is lived as God has originally designed it to be lived. When God made Marlon, this is what he had in mind. And every time Marlon lives up to what God had in mind, I live and experience peace. Shalom, as God intended. Then there's joy. There's joy, this communicable attribute of God, that this is a part of God that communicates down to man. God is a joyful God. Joy is the satisfaction of knowing that all things in life have been fulfilled. Joy is the satisfaction of knowing that all things in life have been fulfilled. It's fulfillment. That's joy. It is complete satisfaction. Now, hear me very clearly. Listen very clearly. The Bible says God made the earth in six days. On the seventh day, what did God do? God rested. He rested. He rested because everything he had designed in his mind was already complete, already done. The laws of nature, done. Physics, done. History, done. God's plan for the ages, done. God's plan for the eons of time, done. God's ideal for life, done. God's righteous standards, done. Redemption, done. Christ crucified before the foundation of the world, done. Salvation secured, done. Heaven guaranteed, done. And he rested on the seventh day. He rested. That's joy. That's joy. When a job is finished, that's joy. When you stand before God and you hear him say, well done, that's joy. Whenever you fulfill the assignment that God has placed in your life, when you have met the requirement that God created you to meet, that he birthed you in the earth for, there is joy. He says, this is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. May I invite you to understand the kingdom through, this ter through these terms. The kingdom is the righteous and joyful ownership of Christ over the life and the hearts of men. The righteous and joyful ownership of Christ over the life and the hearts of men. That is 
what the kingdom is. It is the righteous and joyful ownership of Christ. It is whenever my life and my heart is fully owned by Jesus Christ. He is the king and he sits on the throne of my heart and my life and I'm fully owned by him. When I get to that place and space in my life, when I'm fully owned by God, I am in the kingdom. When Jesus says, I am the door, he is speaking here about being in the kingdom. And so I want us to answer the question. The second one we must answer is who opens the kingdom? Who is it that opens the kingdom? We don't need to spend a lot of time here. Back in John chapter 10, verse numbers one and two, it says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now here is verse three. Here answers the question to him. The porter opens who opens the kingdom. Who opens the kingdom? God the Father opens up the kingdom. He makes the kingdom available to his creation, to those he has created, to his people. He makes the kingdom available. That the porter is the Father, and the Father opens access to the kingdom. I want you to see this in Luke chapter 12 and in Luke 22, in both places, Luke 12 and Luke 22. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, here's what Jesus says. He says, fear not, little flock, fear not, little sheep, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Who gives the kingdom? The father gives it. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, that God has designed the kingdom for you, (laughs) that God designs the kingdom for the son who rules as king to take ownership of your life and your heart. God designed it for you. You were not meant to live in Satan's kingdom. You were not meant to live under Satan's control or under Satan's rule. You were meant to live in the kingdom of God. And here it says in Luke 22 and verse number 29, and I appoint, Jesus says, as he's teaching, he says, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father has appointed unto me. I want you to see this. In Luke 22 and 29, he says, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father has appointed unto me. Then in Luke 12 and 32, he says, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The father appointed the kingdom unto Christ and the father gives the kingdom to his people. It is God who has supplied the kingdom living for every single person. It is God's desire. It is God's will. It is God's passion to give you the kingdom. You should never have to live in fear or doubt or worry or anxiety or bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness or jealousy or envy or anger. You should never need to live in anything other than righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is God's gift. This is your inheritance. This is the promise of the Father to you. It is his desire to give this to us. It is his desire to see to it that we live in that beautiful, wonderful state called the kingdom of God. All right. How do we enter it? How to enter the kingdom? That's the third question we've got to answer. How to enter the kingdom? I know what it is. And I know it's available to me. The father has made it available to me. I want to know how do I get in it? How do I get in it? Bible says in John chapter 10, back to John 10, verse number seven and verse nine, seven and then nine. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
Now, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved. How do I get into the kingdom? I get into the kingdom, obviously, by entering in through a door. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.